Turn in your Bibles now to Habakkuk chapter 3. Through this series, we're learning that as we grow in maturity in Christ, we're to continually cry out to God in honest vulnerability. Our cry as we grow in faith is to be honest and vulnerable. How long, O Lord? And this morning's theme in Habakkuk chapter 3 is how long until mercy gets us through to the other side. We're at the point in the story where Habakkuk knows for certain that 70 years of great trial and trouble and hardship is about to come upon the Old Testament church. Let's review where we've been. In Habakkuk chapter 1, the prophet is concerned, he's dismayed, he's lamenting that the church is in sad shape. It's not filled with love, but instead self-centeredness. It's not filled with compassion, but instead with anger and meanness. And Habakkuk is crying out to the Lord, How long, O Lord, will your church be like this? And God answers, I hear you, Habakkuk. I see my people. And to deal with it, I'm going to send the wicked Babylonians to devastate Jerusalem and to carry my people off into exile. Well, Habakkuk was merely wanting God to grant the grace of repentance or to bring about renewal and revival among his people. And then he cries out to God again, how long, O Lord, will the cure be worse than the disease? And God responds a second time and says, don't worry. Evil will not triumph. And I will eventually judge the Babylonians. So now that we come to chapter 3, Habakkuk has surrendered his will to God. He's submitting himself to God's sovereign purposes. He knows at this point that the Old Testament church won't be delivered from discipline, but will be delivered through discipline. Habakkuk might even be meditating on Isaiah 43.2, where the prophet writes this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Habakkuk has had to come to grips that oftentimes God takes his people through the waters, through the fires, and safely to the other side by his mercy. But God doesn't often deliver us from trial, from hardship. As a matter of fact, one of the things Christ's followers can expect is that God will lead us through the waters and through the fire, but we will not get burned. So as Habakkuk reflects on what God's about to do and the certain 70 years of hardship for the church, he sings a song. 
He puts on a worship playlist, if you will. Or another illustration you might think about is is one of those digital frames that you can put up in your kitchen or your bedroom, and you can hook up your phone to it, your photo album, and it constantly cycles through all of your pictures, and you relive those moments. You re-experience those moments. Habakkuk chapter 3 involves a sung prayer of the prophet. And he sings of all the past deeds of mercy that God shows for his church. And as a result, he writes a song that expresses to God how long until mercy gets us through to the other side. Or using the digital frame illustration, he's constantly looking at pictures from the Old Testament and God's saving acts and saving deeds so that his prayers now for mercy to get us through dark times will be a prayer of faith flowing from our hearts. In the text before us, Habakkuk's trying to experience believing, transforming prayer as he looks back, looks around, and looks up. And we need to connect with that. We need to think of ways that we're already going through the waters and through the fires. And it's clear that God has decided he's not going to deliver us from them. Think about some of these. You have cancer. There's no doubt. And now God calls you to trust him for a mercy that gets you through it and transforms you into the image of Christ more fully. You have experienced divorce. And God is calling you to trust Him for a mercy that makes you into a better person through it. You have seen your business cut in half. And though we certainly want to pray that business comes back, in the meantime, God is saying, trust me for a mercy that will sanctify you through this. You've been diagnosed with depression. There may be no escape from it. But God wants you to pray for mercy to get you through it so that you'll become more godly. You have children that have walked away from the faith. That's where you are. Israel had to go through 70 years of darkness. Perhaps this darkness will last some years as well. But God calls us to trust Him for a mercy that gets us through to the other side, transformed more sanctified people. So let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word, wherever you may be watching, and follow along as I read Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. This is God's Word. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. Now that is likely uh, some kind of musical instrument. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, And your work, O Lord, do I fear. In other words, he sits in awe of the saving acts and deeds of God's mercy 
throughout church history. In the midst of the years, revive it. In other words, in our day, in our darkness, renew your works. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. We'll explain what all of this means as we go through the text. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand and there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence and plague followed at His heels. Now that's obviously the plagues upon Egypt when he was about to deliver Israel by his mercy. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. That actually happened in the book of Joshua, and we'll get to that. And the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heels of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. Dear flock of God, this is God's word. He gave it to us because He loves us and because He wants us to have a picture book of His mercy, a worship playlist of the power of His saving acts toward the people He loves. Let's pray. God, we read these verses and some of them don't seem to make any sense, but to Habakkuk and the people of Judah. They made complete sense. And Lord, they can and will make sense to us. So Holy Spirit, come, lead us, guide us, illumine our hearts, soften us, and may we, we be a people in the midst of dark times who trust your mercy to get us through to the other side. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been standing, go ahead and have a seat. Now, you look in verse 1, you'll see that this is a prayer. But interestingly, there's only one prayer request, well, actually one verse that contains two prayer requests. The rest is another part of the song. So look at verse 2 and see the two prayer requests. Revive your mighty acts, renew your deeds of mercy, and then in wrath, 
remember mercy. Now you'll notice I failed to read it in the text, but it actually is part of the inspired text. This word, salah. It's actually a musical interlude. It's an opportunity for God's people to reflect while the instruments are playing and they're not singing. And Habakkuk writes this poem, writes this worship song in such a way that the more we sing it, the more our faith is stirred to trust God for fresh mercies every morning that get us through to the other side of our trials. We've sung many praise songs in this church, and some of them actually begin with the refrain. And then there's a verse, and there's that same refrain. Then there's another verse, and that same refrain, and then maybe it repeats the refrain. That's exactly what Habakkuk is doing here. He's writing a song, and the refrain at the beginning is the prayer for God to renew his mercy and deeds of saving acts in our day. And then there's a bunch of verses that is the digital picture frame of all that God's done. And then there's the refrain that you sing now with more confidence and conviction because your faith is being informed by what God has written in his word. And that's the way the song goes on. So by the end of the song, God's people are singing it with more conviction. They're praying for mercy and grace with more conviction and they're going to be sustained by grace through the 70 years of exile in Babylon. So I said before, Habakkuk learned to pray in faith by looking back, looking around, and looking up. So let's dig in. First of all, fuel your prayers with faith by looking back. Look at verse 2. I've heard your report, your prophecy, and your work do I fear. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, I know the stories of how you've delivered your people in the past. And again, did God deliver the people from the enemy? He delivered them through dark times. And that's the way God often works. Habakkuk, particularly in this song, refers back to the exodus from Egypt and then the conquest of the promised land. And looking at those pictures of mercy in the past leads to conviction that mercy will get us through our our dark times as well. Look at verse 3. God came from Teman, from Mount Now, those words may not mean anything to us, but they meant a lot to the people in Habakkuk's day and to the Old Testament church. What if I changed it and I said this, God came from Bethlehem and from Jerusalem. Now, what would you be thinking of? Well, you should, I would think, be thinking of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus of Nazareth as Messiah. And he came from Jerusalem. He he, he did this miracle, many of his miracles there. And he taught there. And eventually he was tried there and crucified there and rose from the dead there. So if you think of Bethlehem and Jerusalem, you think of all those events. Well, that's what Habakkuk is doing. Teman and Paran are places in the wilderness where God led his people where he guided his people, where he protected his people, where he provided for his people, where he shaped his people. 
These are some of the things that Habakkuk is thinking about as he reflects on God's past mercy. First of all, in Exodus 13, you have God leading the people out of Egypt with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. God's merciful power leading, guiding, and protecting his people. In Exodus 14, you have the great Red Sea miracle. God leading his people through the Red Sea. And when the Egyptians and Pharaoh tried to come through, they were covered up and drowned. In Exodus 15, you have bitter poisonous waters and the people groan and grumble. And God says to Moses, throw a log into the water and the waters were made fresh and drinkable. And God again showed mercy. In Exodus 16, you find the miraculous provision of the quail at dusk, and God's people were filled with good meat for food. And in the morning, Exodus 16 talks about the manna, the the miraculous bread that was provided by God. In Exodus 17, the people are thirsty again, and they're grumbling. And once again, God shows mercy and says to Moses, strike the rock, and water came from the rock. Also in Exodus 17, we have that place where the Israel's batting the Amalekites, just like on a football field. And as long as Moses' arms were raised, Israel gained yardage, gained success, gained victory. If his arms came down, the Amalekites gained yardage, gained success, gained victory. And Moses' arms were tired, so Aaron and Hur put their arms under Moses' arms. The staff stayed raised, and Israel won the victory. Not by their strength, not even by Moses' strength, but by the power of God. And then the conquest of the promised land is also in these verses of the song. In Joshua 6, uh, we find out that the, the battle of Jericho was won as the people simply walked around the city for seven days and then shouted and blasted the trumpets and the walls fell down flat. Now again, these aren't particularly listed in the song. It's what's going through Habakkuk's mind and the people's mind by saying God came from Teman. God came from Mount Paran. Because these are all the things that happened in the wilderness. In verse 7, it says, I, I saw the tents of Cushion and affliction, and the curtains of Midian did tremble. And that refers to Judges, chapters 6 and 7, where Gideon had thousands, tens of thousands of warriors going up against a much stronger and more complete Midianite force of 135,000. And God says, you've got too many. Even though you're already outmanned, You'll trust in yourself and your own power. So God whittled them down by his sovereign choice to 300. And 300 Israelites went up against 135,000 Midianites. And God's mercy brought them through to the other side. And through all of these stories, by the way, do you see how important it is for you to know your Bibles? To know the Old Testament stories for the Old Testament church? They were written for us, Paul says that we might have encouragement through the scriptures. We're to look back biblically and see all that God's done. But we're also to learn to look back in our own lives to see how God's mercy has brought us through. I've kept journals for over 40 years. 
this is a journal that I started in 1982, and it goes through 1984. Uh, in this journal, you'll find different memory stones. You know, when the Israelites went through the Jordan into the promised land, uh, God made it just like the Red Sea dry, and they're able to go through at flood stage. And then God said, get 12 stones, one stone for every tribe. And that will be a memory stone to know that you've seen my mercy deliver you. Well, one of the stories in this one, I told you a couple weeks ago about the cave story. I have all kinds of stories that are memory stones, and I, I call them by different things. I have the phone call. I have the organ. I have uh, all kinds of other stories that I've entitled, um, and this one I call the engagement. Uh, it's right here, February 2nd, 1984. Uh, I'm going to just really tell a terrible story on myself. Uh, I've been happily married to Laurie for 36 years. But it didn't start out so well. Matter of fact, as soon as we got married, life got easy. Our dating relationship was a wreck because of me. Laurie was convinced early on that, that I was gonna be her husband. But I was going through one of these stages and I've talked many times about my anxiety and my worry and my fear. And I was so afraid of making a mistake. I mean, this is forever, right? And so I loved being with her. I loved the way we complimented each other. I loved the way we challenged each other. But I was scared to death to commit. And so I broke up with my sweet bride about six times in a year. And, and these were boo-hoo breakups. It's amazing she would even let me in her presence after a while. And I'm journaling in my journal, God, I can't continue like this. This isn't fair to Lori. It's killing me. And I was having my devotional in a place where the people of God simply needed to step out in faith. And even in my journal, I write that it felt like jumping off a cliff. But I was going to ask Lori to marry me. So I made these plans. Uh, we were going to have a, a campus crusade meeting where I was on staff. And I was going to introduce a speaker. And then uh, after the crusade meeting, I made plans to take us to a restaurant called Julie's Place right on I-10, or right off of I-10, and then I was going to ask her to marry me there. So I get to the crusade meeting, and I'm introducing this guy. I still remember his name, Moody Cumbie. He worked for Coal Ridge Presbyterian, and he was with Evangelism Explosion. So I introduce him. It's the first time he and I have ever met. He knows nothing about me, and by the way, I asked God in the journal, it's in writing, in ink, God, I'm jumping off the cliff, but would you please in your mercy, would you confirm this? Just like Gideon's fleece, I'm struggling here, Lord. So Moody Cummings gets up after I introduce him and he says, uh, I just met Bob and I don't know anything about him, but let's just say Bob has this girlfriend. Well, everybody in the crew meeting knew that I was dating Laurie and that I had broken up with her like six times in less than a year. He said, let's say Bob has this girlfriend and there's something really important he wants to say to her. I'm starting to think what's going on here. He says, he's been putting this off and putting this off and putting this off. And I'm thinking of the six times during a year where I ridiculously broke up with Laurie. And then he says this, but tonight he decides he's going to tell her what he's been putting off. So what does he do? 
He makes plans to go to their favorite restaurant. Inside, I am dying, right? Now, he jokingly said, you know, McDonald's, that's all Bob can afford. But I knew I had made reservations at Julie's place. And he said, when the, when the atmosphere is just right and the moment's right, he finally tells her what he's been putting off. Well, at this point, it's like, okay, God, you really do hear me. I have the unbelief of Gideon, but you have shown me the fleece. And that night I asked the Lord to marry me. The first thing she said was, are you sure? And then she said, yes. But the point is, I have gone back to that memory stone over and over and over when God was calling me to trust his mercy to get me through a dark time to the other side. We have the scriptures as the digital frame. We have our own lives. What is there in your life that is a memory stone as you look back to God's power and faithfulness, the same way that Israel had experiences, the same way that I've had experiences. What experiences has God given you that he wants to be a memory stone that in the present difficulties you're facing, he's saying, trust me, I've been faithful in the past. I'll be faithful in the present. I'll be faithful in the future. I will give you mercy to get you through to the other side. So fuel your prayers with faith by looking back. Secondly, fuel your prayers with faith by looking around. In this uh, second part of the song or the digital frame, whatever you want to call it, Habakkuk points to elements of creation that God uses in his omnipotence, in his sovereignty, to reveal that he's sovereign over every detail of life. He's even sovereign over elements of creation. So you can trust him for new mercies to get you through to the other side of these dark times. Look at verse four. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. Well, that's clearly talking about the giving of the Ten Commandments where Moses went to Mount Sinai and he went up the mountain by himself and the people saw flashes of lightning and the resounding thunder and smoke and they were afraid to approach. But it was God's glory falling upon the mountain as God's finger wrote the Ten Commandments for Moses and the people. God reveals his power in creation to encourage our faith so that we'll pray with conviction that God's mercy will get us through these dark times to the other side. Verse five, before him went pestilence and plague followed as his heels. Clearly the plagues that God poured out on Egypt before they would let God's people go. He used frogs, he used gnats, he used flies, he used hail, he used locusts. God uses creation to reveal his power. And God wants us to look around at creation and be reminded when we see hail, we're to remember not only the plague in Egypt, but there are numerous passages where Israel is going into the promised land and God causes more of the enemy to die from hailstones than from the swords of the Israelites. God is saying, I can use anything and everything. They're at my disposal to be mercy to you, to get you through 
to the other side of your dark times. Verse six, he looked and shook the nations. The eternal mountains were scattered. Talking about earthquakes. Do you realize that uh, I think it's tomorrow, um, the 18th, May 18th, 1980, 40 years ago tomorrow, Mount St. Helens blew its top. And over 1,300 feet of the mountain was scattered. God says, look at those things. Look around you in creation and recognize that they are all demonstrations of my power. My power toward you, whom I love. That's why he says in verse 8, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? God's wrath wasn't against the Jordan River when he caused it to part. God's wrath wasn't against the Red Sea when it parted. God uses those elements of creation to reveal that he loves his people. God has covenanted himself to bless us, to favor us. Again, not that we escape from trial and hardship and trouble, but that his mercy gets us through the waters and through the fire. Verse 10. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. Now, again, that's still Exodus and the Red Sea. And when Pharaoh and his army tried to go through, after Israel had gone through, God covered them up and Egypt lost their entire army. But also this verse refers to the flood. God caused the mountains to writhe as the waters raged. And it's a reminder that God will get us through the floodwaters, not necessarily keep us from the floodwaters. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stood still in their place. That happened in Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. The five kings of the Amorites were fighting against Israel as they entered the promised land and were taking over different cities. And Joshua prayed, God, cause the sun to stop from going down so that your victory may be complete. We're to look around at creation. The same elements of creation exist now as did then, but connect elements of creation to God's mercy. Connect Mount St. Helens. Now, did the church necessarily benefit from that? No, but it's an example. Look at the ravens and the crows and think about 1 Kings where, where Elijah is afraid. Everybody's out to get him and he's depressed. And, and God says, go into the wilderness. The wilderness, again, Temen, Paran, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. God was sovereignly over the quail and made them fly into the Israeli camp so they had meat to eat. On a recent trip to Israel uh, last year, one of the highlights was being on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, we were actually able to see how windy it gets uh, in the early evening and how storms pop out from nowhere. And even though it's not a very big lake, it can get very rough. 
And it made me think of Jesus asleep in the stern of the boat while the disciples were panicking. Lord, don't you care? We're dying. And Jesus calmly gets up, rebukes the wind and the waves, says, hush, be still. So when you see a great storm and the wind blowing, see Jesus and his power, able to use anything he chooses to show us mercy, to get us through to the other side. Jesus is still hushing the wind and calming the storms to get us through. And then thirdly and finally, fuel your prayers with faith by looking up. Habakkuk wants us to apply this song, to sing this song, to pray this prayer, not just thinking about the past, not just looking around at creation and God's providence, but he wants us now in our darkness to look up and to apply the promise of mercy right now, right here in our day, in our lives, and recognize that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He may not part the Red Sea, literally, but he's parting the Red Seas of trouble around us all the time. We may not be kept from trial, but God's power and mercy will get us through trouble to the other side. Verse 2, renew your mighty saving acts on behalf of our, your people in our day. That's what he's saying. Again, Isaiah 64, verse 1, the prophet says, rend the heavens, part the heavens, and come down now. Renew your power in our day. Renew your mercy in our day. Look, it's not just a bunch of stories in this book. It's history. And it's history written to reveal and reflect the living creator who truly exists. And we are to apply these passages to our lives. That's what gave me the boldness to ask Laurie to marry me. The Old Testament stories weren't just stories. They were meant to encourage me to step out in faith. And they're meant to encourage you as you look up to step out in faith as well. Verse 9, you strip the sheath from your bow. Verse 14, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. Uh, another one of, not in that journal, and another one of my journals many, many years later, uh, I talked about the cave. I talked about the engagement. I talked about the organ. I talked about the phone call, things you don't know anything about, but I'll share them uh, when I have opportunity. Well, another one I call the scam. Some of you have heard about it before. It was, it was May 21st. I was in Moscow. I had the flu. Everyone else on my team had gone to the church that I was supposed to preach at. But I had to go to the pharmacy, walk across Red Square by myself, try to order what I needed from the pharmacy in Russian, and come back. Now, I'd been, for some reason, uh, just alerted in my spirit that something might happen. I don't know why. God just alerted me. So I was reflecting on Scripture before I walked. And the Scripture I was in was Psalm 21, because at the time, I was reading the day of the psalm plus 30. There's 150, so over 30 days, you get through all the psalms if you read several a day. So I read Psalm 
21, Psalm 51, Psalm 81. Now, oftentimes when I'm reading scripture, I read until I really sense the Lord speaking something to me. And in Psalm 21, there was something about God protecting his people, God guiding his people. And then one of the verses says, you load your bow at their faces. Though they plot evil against you, though they seek to scam you, they will not succeed. Didn't know what it meant necessarily, except for God promised to protect me. I walk across Red Square. I order the medication. I walk back and I look down and there's a big wad of money at my feet. I look around. I don't see anybody looking for money. So I pick it up and was going to try to find whose it was. As soon as I picked it up, another Russian guy came back and he must have known I was an American, and he spoke in English, broken English. Hey, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. You stole it, you stole it. Well, there's police right over here. And I'm thinking, here I go. I'm going to jail. Everybody is gone. No one's gonna know where I am. I'm gonna rot in a Russian jail. And I'm trying to talk to this guy and said, no, no, no. So they say they're gonna threaten me with arrest. And at this point, I'm just losing heart. And the only Russian word I can think of at the time is pajalista, which means please. Pajalista. That was my prayer. Pajalista, pajalista. I looked right into the guy's eyes and said, pajalista. And just like that, that verse of you will pierce them in their eyes with your arrows came to mind. His whole countenance changed. He took the money. He said, it's okay. You go. Well, when I got back and took my medication and the whole team got back, the Russians were shocked because that was the new scam in Moscow. Somebody dropping money on purpose, then coming back and saying, you stole it. The other thing you want to do is look in my wallet to see if there was more money that they had dropped. And of course, then what they do is they take your wallet and run. And these Russians had never heard of a single instant when it hadn't worked. Yet God gave me a memory stone. Just like Habakkuk says here, you stripped the sheath from your bow, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. In verse 13, he's referring to crushing the head of the house of the wicked. And the other thing that we're supposed to get from this song, this digital frame, are all the times of God's ironies where the plans and schemes and plots of the wicked fall upon their own heads. Again, how well do you know your Bibles? You know the book of Esther? Esther 7, verse 10. Haman was hung on the very gallows he meant for Mordecai. Daniel 6, 24. Daniel's enemies were fed the very lions that they fed him to. God's saying, when you go through trial, when you go through the water, when you go through the fires, I will be with you. Trust new morning mercies to get you through to the other side. And then you come to verse 13, where Habakkuk says, you went out for the salvation of your people. God is always marching on for your salvation, my salvation. And then it says, also for your anointed. That's actually a mistranslation. It really should be, you save with or through your anointed. This, this whole song is ultimately focused on Jesus. 
the rock that the people drank from when Moses struck it. First Corinthians says, said the congregation in the wilderness all drank from the same rock and that rock was Christ. Christ is the place we look up to. The cross is where we look up to. And as we reflect upon Jesus, his finished work, his obedient life, his substitutionary death, his resurrection, all his teachings and miracles, we are to find hope and conviction that in fact, God will give us mercy to get through to the other side. In this time of social distancing, I know a lot of us are spending more time on social media. Uh, Laurie's and my anniversary was April 28th. And uh, Facebook has this algorithm. I don't know how they do it. But if you're on Facebook and you're friends and you have some information down, uh, like your anniversary, they're able to take pictures that you've already taken. So they're just, they're just simply uh, putting together in a collage what you've already posted in the past. But they, they match it with the person. And so on April 28th, there were all these pictures that Laurie and I had used over the years on Facebook, and it all flashed up in a collage. And as we looked at those pictures, we relived all kinds of moments. When we visited Hannah in Uganda, or taken other trips with the family. That's exactly what Habakkuk is doing here. That's what God is doing here. He's giving us Facebook memories, a worship playlist, a digital frame, so that no matter what you're going through, again, you've not been prevented from it. God is bringing you through it. And he gives us the collage of Scripture that we might trust his mercy to get us through to the other side. What are you facing this morning where God is calling you to reflect back on what you know of Scripture, to look around at creation and connect the dots with God's deliverance? And how's He calling you to look up right here, right now, and expect His mercy to be just as real upon you as it is upon His people, no matter where they are, when they are? Let's pray. Father, we do ask that if there's anybody viewing here today and they've heard the stories of your miraculous mercy, that they would look to Christ now because that's the greatest story. All these other stories simply serve to point to the great story of mercy, Jesus of Nazareth. May they transfer their trust from their own works, their own deeds, their own goodness to your mercy and grace alone. And God, for the rest of us, please build the digital frame in our hearts that we might recollect all the deeds of your mercy toward your people and toward us. And we might pray in faith that mercy will get us through the darkness to the other side. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you would, where you are, go ahead and stand and receive the benediction, the promise of God's mercy upon you, no matter what dark times and fires and waters you're going through.
And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, now and always. Amen.